Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Hello from Jerusalem and welcome to Watchmen Talk, a series of conversations with Israeli military and security experts and practitioners. Our guest uh, today is uh, Brigadier General and Dr. Tarif Bader, who until very recently has been the Surgeon General or Chief Medical Officer of the Israeli Defense Forces and um, is now about to begin his civilian career as uh, the uh, Director General of one of Israel's uh, largest regional hospitals, Kaplan, uh, not far from Rehovot. And by the way, Kaplan is named after the first Israeli finance ministry, which only goes to tell you that money is very important in this regard. General Bader, Dr. Bader, thank you for coming. Thank you very much. Our conversation has to tie three strands regarding your background and career. All of them uh, start with M in addition to the money, which we mentioned. And these are medical, military, and minority. You come from the Druze village of Hurfesh in the Upper Galilee, um, a mountaintop uh, in Israeli terms uh, village. And we would first uh, like to explain to our viewers, especially abroad, what is the Druze community? What are the traditions? Um, what is the difference between a Druze and an Arab? And uh, just uh, to enlighten our viewers, one in five Israelis is an Arab, either Muslim or Christian. One in 65 Israelis is a Druze. There are approximately 140,000 Druze Israelis. So what is a Druze? Thank you, for, thank, you, thank you very much. Um, you mentioned Druze and you mentioned minority, and uh, it's not a secret that uh, um, I lived in a, in a situation that uh, I'm always in the minority side. Uh, the Druze is a minority in Israel. The Druze is a minority in between the Arab population in Israel. And uh, I'm starting with the Arab population because the Druze uh, uh, religion is actually part, uh, is derived from the Arab population. Uh, my mother's tongue is an, an Arabic, an Arabic, uh, and actually the Druze uh, is um, is a newly religion established uh, almost one fourteen hundred years ago, and it's derived from uh, from the the, the Muslims. Uh, we believe in one God. Uh, we have our own prophets, and we of course respect all other prophets uh, that exist. Um, our, our religious is a secret religion, and uh, we believe that uh, there was an opportunity for almost all people to join the Druze, and uh, who decided to join the Druze religion are Druze now, and who decided not to join it, they are not allowed to be Druze, and actually, this is one of the religions that it's a one-way ticket. That means you can decide not to be a Druze if you decide, uh, for example, that you, are, uh, you do not want this, but there is no option that you can join the religion. So there was an opportunity 1,400 years ago to join this, uh, this religious. And uh, if you didn't do, do this, so uh, actually you, you passed the, the opportunity. So it's a very exclusive club. And uh, most of the uh, Druze uh, 
um, settlements, villages, towns um, in the Druze community in Israel are on top of mountains yeah. or, or hills. And that obviously comes from the fact that um, in centuries past, under different uh, regimes, different uh, empires, um, your ancestors were besieged and wanted to take the high ground, and they were also very fierce fighters. Actually, that's right. Uh, let's, when we are talking about uh, uh, the period before the state of Israel, uh, the Druze as a minority has to fight, has to protect themselves. Uh, and this is one of the reasons that they choose to, to, uh, to have their, their own houses in the, in, in the, in the hills. It's, it's much easier. Uh, I'm talking about as a, as a military person. It's much easier to protect your house when you are on the top of the, of the, of the village. And that's right that if you, if you see the, uh, the Druze villages in Israel, most of them are either in mountains or in hills in the, in the northern part of Israel, uh, from uh, uh, the Carmel uh, mountain, where there are two villages of the Druze population, uh, Usafia and Dalia, until the upper north of Israel, where uh, my village is, and actually it's one of the northest uh, villages in Israel. Uh, and actually, this is one of the things that we, we, we used to do. Uh, it's not a secret that uh, 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 in the last, let's say, 70 or 80 years, uh, we are not dealing with protecting ourselves. We are living in Israel, and uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's safe. We are, I, even though we are still minority in Israel, but we are, let's say, that we have to focus in, in other things that not in protecting ourselves. And that's probably one of the reasons that uh, more and more people are leaving the countries, uh, leaving the villages, and moving to, uh, to towns and other places in Israel. So you um, uh, were born and, and raised um, in Khurfesh. Yeah. Um, later on, much later on, uh, you were the medical officer of the uh, brigade in the area, uh, actually um, taking care of yeah. your own village as well as uh, others. But um, you were born in 1967, uh, uh, which means that... Um, when you were a teenager, there was no longer a problem in Druze officers becoming very senior officers. The first colonels yeah. um, uh, were uh, appointed of the Druze community, even though there were uh, lieutenant colonels earlier, full colonels only from the early 80s on. So what, what made you decide to go for not only the medical profession, but to do it as part of a cadet program for the military, which uh, upon commissioning and graduation from medical school means that you are in the IDF for a career? First of all, I believed in myself. And I believed that uh, I wanted to be a physician. And I wanted to be a physician as, as soon as possible. And this is probably one of the reasons that I, I joined the cadets. And actually, in the age of 24, I, I, I was already graduated as a, as a physician. And uh, you mentioned it's not a secret that whenever you are studying before the, the, the military, you have to join the military as a, as a physician. This is what I did. And if you ask me in 1993, when I joined the military, uh, if I have my career all the uh, 30 years almost uh, as a physician, as a military physician, I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, I wanted to be the best that I can in every position that I am. Uh, so that's the reason that uh, uh, as a, um, 
uh, as a soldier, I was, uh, I get an extra uh, um, um, excellence. And I was chosen to be one of the uh, infantry uh, brigades, uh, not, in the, not in, the, in the battalion where the Druze are, uh, are serving, but in another one in Gulani. And actually, uh, let's say by the time when I passed from one position to the other, and I, first of all, I joined what I did, I, I enjoyed what I did. Uh, I did it wonderful. Uh, I got uh, a lot of uh, excellence uh, letters and, uh, from my commanders and from my colleagues. And uh, probably that's the reason that I wanted to continue in the military. But you also grew up in a security environment. Yeah. Uh, your father uh, was uh, a police or border patrol uh, uh, officer. The border patrol is part of uh, the police. Yeah. And, and um, there are um, relatively many Druze officers in the military, in the police, in the prison service. What uh, sort of impact did your father's career leave upon you? I, I'm sure that uh, there is a, 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 an impact uh, on my career and my, my brother's career uh, from the environment that we, we, we lived in. Uh, you mentioned my father. I have a lot of uh, cousins and, uh, and relatives who are, were serving them in the military. Uh, my uncle also was one of the uh, lieutenant colonels, the first lieutenant colonels in the, in the military. Uh, my father served almost 25 years in the, uh, in the police. Uh, so it, it wasn't strange for us uh, serving in the military and, uh, and uh, seeing this uniform and seeing the, the ranks. So uh, I'm sure that it's, uh, it's much easier for, a, for, a, for, a, for a, a, a person like me who is living in an environment that these things are not strange to be uh, more familiar with that and actually um, to, to try to do, to do the, the same. You uh, specialized in uh, pediatrician, uh, as a pediatrician. Yeah. Um, what is uh, <laughs> <laughs> the relationship of taking care of babies and infants and being a, a medical officer in the army? First of all, you have to understand that even in the military, there are a lot of children. Uh, We're not talking about childish commanders, <laughs> but children. No, no, say. children. Uh, this is one of the uh, one of the fantastic things in uh, in the, the medical corps that uh, when, whenever you decide to stay in the military, you have you can choose whatever uh, specialized you want to do, and you have to understand that uh, serving the military is for 25, 30 years, and after that you continue to be a physician. So if I like, for example, being a pediatrician it's okay to have a pause of only 25 years and later on you have to continue your uh, clinical career. So this is what we decided in the military, not in my, uh, in my period, but much earlier than that, that uh, for, the, for, the, for the officers who decide to continue serving in the military, in the medical corps, they can decide whatever specialized you want. Of course, we have some of the specialized that we need as the medical medical medical, uh, medical call, for example, uh, we need. We are talking about COVID. We are living in the COVID now, right now, so we need that part of our physicians uh, go to a specialized, for example, in the epidemiology or in in public public health. We need that part of them go to surgery. We need that part of them go to uh, orthopedics. Uh, what's the need for pediatrician in the military? I'm not sure. Even though in um, uh, what we call in the, in the, in the clinical uh, units, we need uh, uh, people or physicians who are familiar with the childhood 
diseases because part of them are actually moving to the, to the military. And later on, when you were in charge of the humanitarian aid and the hospital for refugees from Syria, of course, many of them did come with Absolutely. babies, but, and, and we'll get to that. But, um, but General uh, Bader, as your first assignment, you mentioned Golani, um, the uh, 13th yep. Battalion, a very distinguished unit at one time led by former Chief of Staff Gadi Eisenkot and, and others. You, you don't only stay in the back Uh, at headquarters, waiting for the unit to come back from operations. You join it on missions, sometimes behind enemy lines, and as uh, a relatively old, as you said, 24, 25 uh, officer, you are the commander's right-hand man on other matters too. So what was the experience of being an infantry medical officer? It was an amazing period. It's one of the one of the most beautiful period that I have ch- that I have served in the in the military. It's uh, it's very important that uh, I believe and uh, and my colleagues believe that the moral of the soldiers uh, in the fighting zone is, is is dependent in the fact that they believe that if they are wounded, they have some people who can take care of them, and uh, that's the reason that uh, you, you mentioned the. Uh, um, Uh, the, the period that we went, for example, in uh, to South, South Lebanon and, uh, and, and other places, it's very important to understand that whenever the soldiers understand that in the, 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 the environment, in, this, in the, 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 the relative environment, there is a physician, there are medics who can take the care of them, it's very important. And it's not a secret that uh, uh, the physician is almost at the age of the commanders of the, of the, of the, of the brigade, of the, of the battalion. And actually, it's also very important uh, to understand that there is a, a, a young guy, uh, um, clever some, most, of the, most of the time, that can watch what is, what is happening there. So it's very important not only for me as a physician, but also for the soldiers and for the moral of them. What are the uh, principles or protocols of medical evacuation? Uh, you are trying to take the wounded as fast as possible out of the killing zone and take care of them um, a few kilometers from there? Are you trying to helicopter them to um, a better equipped uh, hospital? The main issue is to save as many lives as we can and to prevent uh, 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 preventable deaths at the, at the field. So you have to do all the best to ensure this. And sometimes you have to, uh, to, to treat them at the, uh, at the, at the area, at the, um, at the point of, of injury. And sometimes you have to take only few Uh, things to do there and then evacuate them as soon as, uh, as possible. It depends on the situation where what, what, what is happening there. Uh, in general, it's, let's say that we are, uh, first of all, we're trying to save their lives. And of course, we are trying not to endanger the other lives of the, of the other soldiers. So it depends on the situation, depends on the, in the, in the, in the injury itself. There are some of the injuries that you have to do an immediate in, uh, intervention in order to save the lives of the soldier. According to professional studies, the um, Israeli Defense Forces, the medical corps, and the uh, combat units uh, have improved the ratio of, of wounded, badly wounded, and others to those saved over the years. Um, 
Is is there any any uh, statistic data on it? Yeah, actually, if you are uh, um, trying to to count the uh, the the soldiers who died in the battlefield, uh, from the 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 uh, the whole number of the soldiers who were injured, you see that the re- this ratio is dropping down. Uh, it started from about fifty percent in the independent world. That means that one in two persons, one in two soldiers who were injured were killed in the, in the, in the battlefield. Uh, until recently, in the, uh, the, the last conflict in, in Gaza, we reached less than 10%. That means less than 10% of the, of the soldiers who were injured were killed in the battlefield. And it's, uh, it's an amazing improvement that you, can, you see the, 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 the sharp decline in the numbers of the, of the soldiers who were killed. Uh, th- that happened, first of all, because of, actually, we learned a lot about the battlefield. We learned how to protect the, ourselves. Uh, um, we are talking about the, the helmets. We are talking the, 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 the protective uh, vests. vests and etc. And, of course, it's talking about the fact that in the, in, the, in the modern battlefields, there are medics, paramedics, and physicians at the point of injury. And the sooner we are trying to treat or starting to treat the, uh, the, 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 the casualties, the, 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 the better chances that we can save their lives. But does it also, uh, Dr. Bader, uh, have to do with relatively simple uh, means like tourniquets, um, people uh, lost blood uh, irreversibly in earlier conflicts and now they can be saved? It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful question and wonderful uh, statement. Uh, actually, most of the things that we can do in the battlefield are not done by physicians. And that's the reason that we, uh, we uh, renamed uh, the soldiers from, uh, um, let's, we, we call it once, uh, a first aid uh, giver. And now we call him uh, a lifesavers because we believe that putting a tourniquet in a, in a wound, in, 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 a, in, a, in a soldier, can save, can save their lives. And that's the reason that actually all the uh, fighters uh, in the last few, few years are taught how to be a lifesavers. That means how to recognize the, uh, the injury and how to react immediately, even before the medic, the paramedic, or the physician are in the, in the, in the scenario. So there is an important uh, rule for the fighters themselves, uh, and, uh, and that's the reason that all the fighters have to learn what to, what to do in these, uh, these situations. What about mental health? Obviously, some of the um, uh, mental health practitioners are not even in the medical corps. They are uh, trained as social workers. Yeah. But some are psychologists or, or psychiatrists. Um, how does the Israeli Defense Force Uh, content with what was once called battle fatigue, shell shock, but we now know uh, is is a very natural phenomenon um, of trauma and post-trauma. We have to understand that uh, uh, mental health or mental preparedness or mental treatment is is, is part of the the whole situation that we we have. Uh, In the medical corps, there is a, a huge department of mental, uh, mental health workers. Uh, uh, that's right that most of them are social workers, but they are part of the, of the med- medical corps. They are going with the same uh, um, 
branch of the, of, the, of the medical corps. And they are working side by side with the physicians and with the commanders. And this is one important, uh, important thing, that the, we believe that the mental health preparedness starts not after the injury, but even before the injury. So that's the reason that the mental, wealth, the mental workers are uh, working with the commanders to prepare the soldiers for the day of the, of the fight. And when there's, a, 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 there's an injury, we have to take care not, not only for the physical uh, problem, but also for the mental problem. We saw, for example, that uh, during the uh, soldiers who were injured, almost 30% of them are suffering from mental problems. So we have to take, take a, in, in account that beside treating them, either in the, in the clinics, in the hospital, or whatever, we have to take also for the, for the mental problems. Um, General Bader, you were uh, in charge of uh, taking care of uh, the uh, casualties of the Syrian civil war. Yeah. Um, this was uh, a very innovative and uh, bold initiative on the part of the Israeli Defense Forces uh, at the uh, border uh, on the Golan Heights with Syria. What can you uh, tell us about it? It wasn't my first uh, humanitarian mission. Uh, a couple of years before that, I was in, in Haiti uh, as a pediatrician in, in, the, in, the, in the Israel delegation. And actually, the humanitarian missions in the, uh, in the state of Israel is, um, is not a strange. But this unique mission was for the first time, actually we are giving humanitarian mission on a, on a hostile border. And we are dealing with, the, with people that uh, actually they are, let's say, they're our enemy. And, uh, and we decided to do so because we, we, couldn't, uh, uh, we couldn't stay aside and do nothing when we saw these, uh, these Syrians uh, part of them were, were killed, were severe, severely injured. And actually, that's the reason that uh, once it was in February 2013, for the first time, uh, that a couple of Syrians who were severely injured decided to go to the, as, as they said, to the West, uh, seeking for treatment. And actually, in, in, in their point of view, they have no other options, either to stay there and to die or to go to the, uh, to the border seeking for treatment. And uh, I'm very proud uh, of the fact that, uh, that our teams, uh, as they were taught all the time, that whenever there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a wounded, you have to treat them, regardless of the fact if he is or she is tourist or, or citizen or, or soldier or whatever. And actually, they were treated just on the border. And they were evacuated to Ziv Hospital, which is the nearest hospital uh, to the border. And they were treated. And I can tell you for sure that at least part of them, their lives were saved due to our treatment on the border and in the, uh, in the hospital. And uh, since that, that point, we decided actually to establish a field hospital just on the border. And it worked almost, uh, almost a year uh, on off. It depends on the, uh, um, on the amount of the, of, the, of the wounded on the other side. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, in, in total, more than 5,000 Syrians were treated in Israel, either on the border, on the, on the hospitals. Uh, we started with Ziv and uh, later on in Haria Hospital also. So while that was not the reason, they became goodwill ambassadors upon coming back and, and uh, telling their neighbors that the Israelis are not the demons that they were 
I, I believe that uh, at least these 5,000 Syrians who were treated in Israel and their lives were saved in Israel, these 5,000 and their families, I'm sure that they are good ambassadors for Israel. Whether they are going to fight uh, with us against Syria, I'm not sure, but at least uh, they are better neighbors. Most of the um, indigenous population on the Golan Heights, those who did not live in 1967, are Druze. And there is also uh, an important uh, Druze village on the slope of Hermon. Yeah. Um, and there was, there was a problem between some of the inhabitants of these villages and the Syrians yeah. uh, who were uh, brought in for treatment. Uh, how did you uh, take care of that problem? For me, it wasn't an issue. And why this? Uh, because I, I said more than once that whenever you put your stethoscope on your shoulders, with, it doesn't matter if it's a real stethoscope or, a, uh, or, or you imagine your stethoscope in your, in your shoulder, uh, you have to treat the victim as a human being. And this is what I did. This is what uh, my soldiers did, uh, whether they were uh, Jewish or, 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 or Druze. And this is the way we act during this, uh, uh, this issue. Uh, it's not a secret that uh, not all my uh, colleagues from the, uh, the, 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 the Druze uh, population in Israel uh, were agreed with me, uh, what I, but I was very satisfied with what I did. I think I did the right thing, that when there is a need for us, we were there. And uh, I act as a, a, as a physician, as a commander, and do, uh, as act what, as what I suppose from my soldiers and my colleagues to do. In the very short time that we have left, two uh, points. One, when you participate in planning an operation, um, is it mission first, no matter the casualties? And the other, how did you prepare for COVID and did Israel prepare uh, in the right way or should it uh, have employed the medical corps more? Two big questions. Uh, I start with the first one. Uh, the mission first, that's right, but you have to put on the table of the commander what are the prices that he or all of us have to pay for that? And I think that uh, our commanders are, uh, um, understand that uh, even they are very uh, minded for the mission, they have to take into account that the, for the price that we as a population, we as citizens uh, have, have, to, uh, have to pay for that. And uh, I can tell you that uh, sometimes we are changing the operation or uh, or postponing the operation because the the dangerous on the on the soldiers is uh, is very very high, and that's for COVID. And for COVID, it's it's a new it's a new situation. And I think one of the things that we have to understand that we do not know everything about new things. That means you have to understand, you have to learn, you have to talk with your colleagues either in Israel or abroad. And this is what we did. Whether the state of Israel used the military call, the, the medical call, uh, um, um, in, the, in the wonderful uh, 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 issue, I'm, I'm not sure. But you, under, you have to take into account that uh, when we are talking about humanitarian mission, when you are talking about field hospitals, uh, there was a talk about why the state of Israel is not, are not uh, using the field hospital as part of the solution. It's not a good solution in this, uh, this situation. Uh, a field hospital are 
most of the people who are, most of the physicians working in the field hospital are uh, reserve physicians, actually, who are working the, in, the, in the hospital. So it wasn't a, a logical thing to take these, so, these physicians from the hospitals and put them in the field hospital. Uh, Brigadier General uh, Dr. Tarif Bader, one of the uh, dozen, only dozen, uh, major generals and brigadier generals from the Druze community in the Israeli Defense Forces throughout its history, the former Surgeon General of the IDF and very soon in charge of Kaplan Hospital in Rehovot, Israel. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.